Hey, it's Alicia Orsini, president of Women in Film and Video of New England, and you are listening to another episode of With Me Talks. And uh, we're excited that you're joining us today because this is a great conversation about the challenges of being a producer. So we hope that you will enjoy it, you'll learn something, and of course you can find all sorts of information about women in film at wifvne.org. You can also find more podcasts from us there. But right now, let's get to our conversation, hosted today by Women in Film board member Karina Shavda. Here's Karina. Hello, hello. Welcome to another one of our virtual workshops. We are so excited to have so many people join us, not only Women in Film and Video New England members, but also members from our other sister chapters. So welcome. This is very exciting for us. We had over 100 people register. So it's going to be a nice big group. Um, as before we get started, let me introduce you to our panel who have put this amazing presentation together. We have Katie, Thomas, and Kristen. Let me first introduce Katie Shine Young. Katie has over 13 years of experience in the entertainment industry. She has worked on a variety of productions ranging from indie films, made for TV movies, to feature film animations like Kung Fu Panda franchise. For the past seven years, Katie has focused her producing efforts on digital media and commercial production for clients in the financial sector, healthcare industry, retail, cybersecurity, and more. Katie resides in Maine with her husband, dog named Frank, and one teeny tiny adorable little baby named Ellie. Katie's quarantine hobbies include bourbon, peanut M&Ms, and streaming old episodes of The Office. She once held a plank position for five minutes straight. That is amazing, Katie. We need to see a video for proof. And next up is Tom. He's a veteran producer with 15 years of relevant video and commercial production experience with clients like TD Bank, Wentworth Douglas Hospital and Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board and the Office of LGBTQ Affairs of the city of Philadelphia. Over the years, Tom has been responsible for projects ranging from broadcast television and radio commercials to print photography, digital banners, long and short form video, as well as experiential work. Tom lives in New Hampshire with his wife and three children, along with one exceedingly indifferent cat. He's a proud graduate of the Children's Garden in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Awesome, welcome, Tom. Thanks. And then next up is Kristen, with more than 15 years of experience working with amazing and talented creatives on broadcast campaigns, web content, and TV shows. Kristen is the CEO and executive producer at Element. She thrives in making certain that every project is executed with the highest creativity and in the most efficient means possible. Very valuable <laughs> for all of us. Um, Kristen oversees everything from business affairs to client relations and also heads the post-production department. In addition to captaining the ship here, she's been an agency producer and casting director. She's worked with brands such as McDonald's, Simply Safe, Liberty Mutual, BMW, and Department of Defense. Welcome, Kristen. Welcome, I'm excited. <laughs> Virtual round of applause for all of you. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, I think we're ready to hand it over to you. Katie, if you wanna present. Yeah, sure. Um, so hopefully this all works super streamlessly, um, seamlessly or whatever. Um, since I've had since March to practice Zoom. 
Okay. Can everybody see my screen or really just one person I need to know because I can't see all of you You're over to the side. So I'm I don't good, really care. Yeah, great. I can see it. Okay, so um, this presentation sort of came about because Tom and I um, were thinking of, I'm sure everybody else was during the beginning of COVID is trying to think of some content to get out there and stay relevant um, in the industry. Um, and we decided that to break out of that usual COVID messaging, we wanted to make a fake script and talk about it and break it down as producers. We spent um, probably way too long talking and recording a Zoom on our own time. Uh, it didn't work out. Uh, fun fact, the more wine you drink, the more you talk. Um, so it was a very long Zoom that we recorded. It didn't really work out. So we decided that it would actually be more fun as interactive. So um, we took that same script and we reached out to women in film and they were super jazzed about um, doing this event. And Kristen also was super jazzed about doing this event, which is really great. And um, I guess we'll maybe dive into it unless you two have anything else to add before we uh, read through the script. I believe that this deck's also going to be available um, for anybody afterwards. So um, yeah. you guys can always reference back to it. Um, we'll have some talking points, but we're not going to necessarily read directly from the presentation. Um, but, you know, want this to be interactive and look forward to your questions as we kind of go through it. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's a good point. Tom, anything you want to add or? Yeah, just to that, uh, I know that we have some time at the end for our Q&A, but I'll certainly field questions throughout. If anyone needs to shout anything, I won't object. Great. All right. Okay. So the creative, Tom wrote this um, script, uh, and it basically encompasses all of the nightmare-inducing things that a producer would feel um, at least me personally, a lot of stress heartburn. And I knew it was a fake script, but while I was reading it, I yep. just like started to think about all the things that I was going to have to do. And I just told myself, I'm not going to have to make this script. So just relax. <laughs> I felt that way when I was writing it. And that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Tom, do you want right. to give the overview? Yep. Yeah. So we have a spot called Give Thanks, 30 second spot for a company called Turkey by Tony. We'll get into that. Um, along with this script, our writer, obviously this wasn't me, this is a creative, uh, this is a copywriter. So they provide these specs, um, but in their script, they include these specs. Tony, he's going to be playing himself. The head guy at Turkey by Tony will be in this. Um, there's a dad who will be played by a celebrity or a professional athlete. And then there's a grandma who is both female and also must speak fluent French. Um, so just to give you that kind of context, these are the casting specs that were provided. Uh, so let's dive right in. A large okay. family, 10 to 12 people, celebrating Thanksgiving in beautiful Antigua, awaits the centerpiece of their meal, a mouth-watering, perfectly cooked turkey. Dad triumphantly struts in and sets the bird down amidst their Thanksgiving spread. The entire family recoils as they see a tiny, poorly cooked turkey there's a womp womp sound effect there. Then suddenly an explosion from the kitchen in strolls Tony, proprietor of Turkey by Tony. Has terrible 
terrible turkey syndrome ever happened to you? Grandma, still reeling from the ring, ringing in her ears and the blinding light, nods her head in awe. Don't let it happen again. Buy a turkey from me, Tony, CEO of Turkey by Tony. Dad, attempting to regain control of the scenario, chimes in. But how does it work? Great question. Chew on this. Tony thrusts a turkey leg into a baby girl's hand. Animation and graphics of a rendering of a turkey cooking in an oven. Camera zooms into molecular level to reveal small cells that look like Tony speaking these lines. We catch a turkey. We cook the turkey. We freeze the turkey. You buy the turkey. And then you stuff your face. Grandma is thrilled. Her eyes well up, likely tearing up due to the explosion. Move it, son! She pushes Dad out of his chair and tugs Tony to the head of the table. Thanksgiving is here, thanks to Tony. The family cheers. Dad tries the turkey and nods in reluctant approval. Try a turkey from Turkey by Tony's Tony today. Turkey by Tony. That's me! <laughs> All right. Uh, so that is our creative. Um, we haven't lost anyone yet. We haven't <laughs> lost anyone yet. That's good. My acting <laughs> skills um, have not spoiled the party. Uh, so um, now we'll move into uh, the producer role in general. Yeah, so today, just to orient everybody, is there's a lot of different types of producers, um, lots of different roles from feature films to television series. And for the purpose of today's, it's really more of a commercial producer that we're going to be talking about. And so, you know, clearly when a script like that is, you know, comes across my desk, there's a lot of things that I've got to do. I've got to break down the script. I've got to figure out a lot of different things in order to even understand the budget and if I'm given a budget I have to see if that budget's even going to work for the script. Um, so I'm an executive producer at Element. My role is, or I would say just in general, the role of the producer is to help to execute the highest quality of the creative all while staying within budget. Um, you want to make sure that you're managing the budget to the best of your ability. And there's a lot of different roles that sort of surround that producer. Um, so myself as an executive producer, I work with the director when the project first comes in and I'm responsible for bidding the project and working with that client to make sure that what their expectation is, is actually going to work with the budget that they have. Um, I work on several projects all at the same time. I may have 10 projects going on that I'm bidding and working with different directors and trying to navigate, which is why I tend to engage a line producer um, who then will just solely focus on that specific project. And then a line producer even under them has either a supervising producer or a production manager, um, assistant producer. There's a whole bunch of different titles um, to kind of help support that whole producer production role. Um, and then there's also agency producers. So if the script came from an ad agency, they would have a producer on their side whose responsibility not only is it to execute the creative to the highest level, but also to maintain budget. And so the agency producer 
on the agency side and the producer on the production side work hand in hand very closely to make sure that they're executing um, properly. And so I feel like I'm a professional problem solver. I'm also a professional person who's constantly putting out fires. Um, I think that that's what we do to sort of flex our muscles in figuring out, you know, taking that script and looking at it. Um, I love the next slide. I'll actually have Katie flip to the next slide as to what the producer's mind is. And this is pretty much what's going through my mind at all times when I'm looking at a script. You have to think about where is the location. So in the, the, the script, it mentioned Antigua. It, you know, are there minors? Are there kids? Are there, what's the wardrobe going to be? Um, is this a period piece? Um, how many crew are we going to be able to afford? How many days of casting? How many talent? Um, what's the production size? Is there visual effects? So all of these different factors are constantly swirling in my head as I'm looking at a script and starting to break it down. Um, and so we're going to talk about a few of these um, as we go through this. And I think the next slide is about um, the big B word. No, C word, communication. So I think Tom's going to take it from here. Yeah, I think... Um all of those things are going through our mind at any given time. And one of the most important things throughout the entire process, but particularly at the beginning is communication, uh, making sure that all parties know what's going on and that all parties are heard. Um, it's something that, okay, so basically in this situation, uh, in this specific script, communication from the very beginning is big because you want to make sure that people know what is and isn't possible. If we know, for instance, that this client has $10 million to spend on Turkey by Tony, then for the most part, our job is a little bit easier and we can turn this around without too many difficulties. There will still be some things, but it'll be a lot easier. But let's say that we know that they've got $30,000, a number of things immediately pop up. Um, we know that we need to start looking at locations and talent and all of these sort of details. But with communication, hopefully you establish yourself early on before we get to a place where Tony at Turkey by Tony has already signed off on this. Um, and then you have to somehow figure out a way to make this location shoot happen with no money. Um, a really good example I have of this is uh, a lot of my experience was on, on the agency side. And back in the day, I was doing a project for a pharma client that did not have a lot of money for this project, which sounds weird, but um, they wanted to do a campaign promoting ADHD uh, misuse, not promoting misusing it, but talking about the dangers of misusing ADHD medication. And the creative department all branched off to come up with some concepts for this, and I was brought in to take a look at some of the ideas they came up with. And one of them was they were gonna reach out to Will Farrell uh, to, to basically reprise his role from old school, which would be something that would instantly ingratiate to all kids who would be at college, even though at this time, this was even five years after the fact that that movie came out. Um, and my role as a producer at that point is to listen, make sure we hear what they're saying, but then also to underline the fact that the budget for this project was maybe $10,000. Um, and it was going to be all animation at some point and then switch into live action based on their concept. So my role is to make sure that they're clear that, okay, we need to figure out how we can make your idea happen. Most likely it wouldn't include celebrity talent. Um, 
but here's how we could make that work. So making sure the creative teams know what's going on and then well before you involve a client is pretty important. That communication is gonna either set up or completely derail your project. Um, so it's important to speak clearly to all relevant parties before you get too far, because if you don't, it could really you know, limit your spot. So here's just a few different kind of takes on some roles uh, and different opinions and viewpoints that need to be weighed in, but you've got a client, a director, the agency, inside the agency, you've got CDs and ECDs and copywriters and art directors, but then you also have to take in consideration what the audience is looking for and, and PAs down there too. Uh, but essentially, the point I'm trying to make here is that communication is really important at the very beginning, throughout, but definitely at the beginning. Yeah, and I think, Tom, personally, when I read that script as a producer, I was like, man, I hope they have a lot of money because I really want to go to Antigua. But then I realized they probably don't have a lot of money, and now I'm going to have to have a very difficult conversation about how they owe me $52 for my new bathing suit that I already purchased for my trip to Antigua. So. Okay, there's only three of us talking. Somebody has to laugh at that joke. So that's like part of it. <laughs> we'll make sure to humor you. <laughs> All right, got it. Did you, can you do it again? Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, Take two. <laughs> Take two. All right. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so budget. Obviously, communication is a start point. Nick laughed um, at that. Thank you, Nick. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> uh, budget is something that rolls into um, right after communication. Um, mainly the communication is uh, because the budget is not really um, fitting the creative. So those difficult conversations have to um, start out like Tom was saying. So trying to figure out what everybody's priority is, trying to figure out um, what everybody's um, dream scenario is. And for me, um, what I like to do is I uh, really want to focus on the wise poet Puff Daddy. Um, who once said, brawlers who be dipping in the bends with the spoilers. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. And it really is. Um, it's all about that money that's coming in and all about that money that's going out. And I think for us as producers, we really want to focus on trying to obviously have like a great profit margin, um, but also trying to figure out a way to make the creative the best that it can be within the parameters, which is the budget. So um, for the way that I approach a project is I try and figure out what is that ideal scenario? What's that dream scenario? And that is probably refers back to that first slide in the communication where the client says, I really want to have Tony in this spot. It has to be um, in, you know, Antigua. We have to have 3D and we also want to have like this crazy new render process that's part of the 3D. Um, so I want to take all of those dream scenarios and boil them down and trying to figure out what's like the plan B, what's the plan C, what's the plan D for all of those things that fit into that budget. Um, and I'm just going to pull up my notes. Um, uh, Kristen had a really great um, submission to this slide, which is this uh, famously good, fast and cheap, and you can really only have two. And for me, this really speaks true because, uh, for example, my um, husband owns a landscaping company and I really want him to mow the lawn. And I would think that would be great. It's good and it's cheap because he's going to mow it, but it's definitely not going to happen anytime fast. 
So what I do is I hire a high school kid to come and mow my lawn, even though my husband owns a landscaping company and that gets it done fast. <laughs> um, and good, I guess. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously I have to pay for it, but um, so I think that's really important when we focus on um, video production and another, um, you know, big thing is we really want to focus on um, also the gear when we're going into a project. Um, usually that eats up a large chunk of a project. Um, and when I speak to, for our team, we have directors, but we also have, um, they also at the same time are DPs. And for us, we really want to focus on what's the camera that you really want to use for this project? What's, you know, is there some special lighting equipment that you need? And that um, is something that really eats a large chunk of the budget. So if we can focus on that aspect as well, um, it helps us figure out um, what that big chunk just kind of like throws away. Um, I also like to, um, when I'm making my budgets and I hope no clients are on here, I like to beef up my craft service uh, section um, because then I always like to dip in to that. So um, if you're on a set with me and you like had pizza two days in a row, that means that we uh, we ate a lot of the money for like gear and talent and everything else. But if you had like a whole bunch of great food catered, uh, that means that we had a really great um, scoped budget. So, <laughs> um, although I will say, Katie, is that there's generally never enough money. Like even if right. a client came to you and said that they had ten million dollars. I'm sure there's going to be so many different ways that that will chip away because then the expectations are really, really high. Yeah, that's really true. I think that um, every project is totally different. So that's the hard part with budget is that a client will say to us, um, how much does like a 30 second TV spot cost? And you're kind of like, there's so many different things. How many people are in it? Where is it going to be? Is there yeah, where a 3D? Is it running? Yeah, where is it running? Um, you know, how long is it going to be on TV for? Uh, is there um, any animals on TV? Is there talent? You know, is there children? Uh, all is there visual effects? Is there explosions? And you know, Tom wrote this really great script that has explosions in it, which is like a whole other um, you know crazy deal uh, that you have to incorporate. Um, and I think that that is really true. There's really never enough money. <laughs> So anyway, I feel like I rambled there for a minute, but whatever. All right, talent and usage. So that's back to me. Um, so talent, um, you know, so when I get a script, I definitely have to break down talent. And there's a lot of different factors to think through with talent that I, I think um, all pose a different challenge. So you know, one of the questions is always, you know, is it a union SAG project or is it a non-union project or are we using family and friends? You know, those all three have different challenges um, in them depending on how you're sort of putting together your budget. And then, you know, you're always looking for things that will also start to um, make your budget cost more expensive. Are there kids? Um, kids sometimes require a set teacher or they require special permitting. Sometimes if they're too little, you have to have two of them because you don't know who's going to be in a good mood that day or in a bad mood. So you have to have, pay for a backup. You know, are there animals? 
um, animals will add time to your set because they're not always very cooperative. And you know, do you need the human? Um, do you need the humane society to be on set to make sure that no no animals were harmed on set? So those are also things that will start to creep up. And then celebrities. You know, if you have a celebrity in your spot, there's they come with a rider, and you don't know what that rider is, and you need to know. Do they need their own motorhome? Do they need a special vanities? You know, I've had to fly special vanities out from LA specifically for a shoot and they have an entourage and, you know, there's definitely things that will start to creep up. Um, stunts, you know, if you have stunts, you've got to make sure that those are properly budgeted for. And then if you have any performances, if there's a musical routine, you've got to make sure that you're budgeting in rehearsal time. Um, you have to budget in a choreographer, you have to budget in, you know, time for all of these people. And then are they traveling? Are they local? Are you doing a wardrobe fitting? You need to have time for them to do fittings. Um, again, if you need a rehearsal to run through things. Um, and then of course your shoot. So that's just your session fees. And then on top of that, you have usage. So this is what actors do for a living. So you've got to make sure that the usage matches, the payment for the usage matches what um, you're actually utilizing it for. Is it a small regional spot that's going to air one time on one network or is this a national broadcast campaign and they want it in perpetuity forever? Um, those are going to have two very, very different costs. Um, and these days people are, when they are filming, they want to use that footage for a lot of different things, for TV, for social, for their website. Um, and so you've got to make sure that everything is covered and we go back to that communication, talking to the client right, right away. Where is this thing going to live? Is this going to be just on your website? Is this just going to be shown internally to your company? Or is this going to be something that you're going to want to hold on to for a long time and repurpose? A lot of different ways because that will all affect um, your costs or your talent. Um, I had a project that came across my desk that you know the budget was definitely tight and one of the things that was um, really pushing it up is that they wanted about 15 talent and I just couldn't figure out based on the usage and based on how many days it would take to cast and all 15 different people how in the world we were going to pull this off and um, the directing team that I work with you know we really wanted to do the job we love the creative and we brainstormed and what we ended up doing was we actually ended up using only one actor and the one actor ended up playing all the roles and then we comped that person in so it was a unique opportunity that we were able to do that um, and we were able to then work within the budget by sort of creative problem solving by only having one talent versus having to hire 15. So again, it kind of goes back to the communication and just making sure everybody's on the same page depending on what your budget is. So that's my, my bid on talent. <laughs> I think that's, um, you know, for us on our end, we haven't really, I mean, at our current jobs tom and i haven't really um worked with like crazy super crazy talent um but my time when i worked out in california uh any ask that they had was um was of course dreamworks it was like of course that yeah of course whatever but you also um had a team that had to manipulate them in a certain way and we would have this one actor who always liked to drink these really frothy like 
frappuccinos from Coffee Bean, and I think his wife didn't really let him have them at all. So he would always have them at uh, voiceover records, and he would always ask for them. It was like the only thing he asked. But every time he had them, he always sounded like really phlegmy on his voiceover recording. So we always had to throw a like a fake production assistant under the bus that they took a really long time to get the frappuccino for him and then he always got it at the end of the session it was so weird it always comes at the end oh we're so sorry um so yeah there's always a little manipulation there with uh some a-list talent I, at least i found so <laughs> yeah and and when it comes to celebrity usually celebrity i guess all talent can sometimes be somewhat difficult but specifically when it comes to celebrity talent um there are things that you can obviously prepare for with contract negotiations so you know how it affects your budget in advance um, but there are also things that i guess maybe you can't prepare for as much um, a fun example uh, for td bank when i was a associate producer we did a campaign uh well they did a number of campaigns for us but um regis and kelly starred in a number of spots for td bank and they they had a dynamic um obviously on their show they had a dynamic but in real life they also had their own dynamic um where she is as nice and you know bubbly as she seems on television um but regis is like a 200 year old man um, who still wakes up at four o'clock in the morning so aside from all of the other things going on we would have to build our shoot days to start a few hours early to make sure that he would be able to leave set by two o'clock because by then he's <laughs> exhausted, um, which is one consideration because obviously that rolls into your crew and other talent and the locations mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, but one of the things that we weren't as prepared for um, and slowly got to learn is that uh, Kelly resented the hell out of him for that because she's a professional. And if we, even though we had paid her a significant sum of money for eight hour days, she was like, I'm going to work eight hour days. Uh, but Regis wasn't interested in that because he was so old. So what ended up happening is for, a, I think it was a three or four day shoot for the first two days, Regis would leave even earlier than his two o'clock. He would leave at like midday <laughs> and Kelly wasn't having any of that. Uh, so then on day three, the ECD and the head, the CMO of TD Bank were pulled into, you know, one of the mohos there on, I guess, Broadway. And they were basically dressed down by Kelly's agent saying, you know, how, <laughs> why does he get to leave early? We want to leave early too. So then we had to change production to make sure that she could. So then everyone was happy. And it's just one of those things that talent plays a significant role in those budgets and in your production. So it's making sure that you have all that stuff lined up early so you aren't hit later because you probably will be hit later and you need to be prepared for it. I think you're basically describing if my dad was an actor who told me the other day he woke up at three and couldn't sleep so he went out and watered the lawn at 3.30 in the friggin' morning. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I just couldn't sleep. And I was like, so you, you water the lawn at in the middle of the night? So basically, that would be my dad as a, he'd be like, oh, I'm good for a call time at like uh, four, if you guys are. Yeah, there, there's some great Regis stories. What's the, um, <laughs> there, there's like a hot dog place that's named after like a fruit, like mango or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Papaya. Papaya. Yeah, Papaya. there you go. He, one of his riders, he needed two hot dogs from them, delivered to him at oh, 10 o'clock every day. Honestly? <laughs> 
and that we would stop. A great writer. We would stop shooting to make sure that it was hot dog time so we could get his hot dog. Because by <laughs> that point, again, he'd been up for eight hours or something. So he wanted his lunch. Yeah, of course. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so right, locations, so... permits, and travel. This is another big part of this script. As you noticed, we're the recommendation or hopefully what hasn't been sold through the client um, is to shoot this in the Caribbean. So we already know that we've got a large family. We have potentially celebrities. Um, we also have our crew and our own teams and the client's teams potentially all going to the Caribbean for this 30-second spot. If they have $10 million, it becomes a little easier to make this happen. If they don't, this is where we need to do a little bit of work to communicate clearly both with the creative teams um, to make sure they understand that, okay, we need to consider how we could shoot this. Are we simulating the Caribbean? Could we do this with some sort of backdrop or on green screen? Um, is it something that we can, are we seeing the location enough where maybe we can just get a stock shot and then everything else is shot on studio? Um, or is it something that the client or if they've already signed off on it that we actually have to somehow figure out a way to make happen? Um, so the way I describe uh, locations and travel, it's a, a destination wedding. Um, if any of you have been married or know people who have been married um, and then somehow know someone who had a destination wedding, it immediately brings up feelings. You might love the idea, but you also might not. Um, but it's, an, it's a pretty large ask for a number of different reasons because you have to figure out where you're going, how you're getting there, uh, how long you're staying, who's coming with you, or do you need a rental car? And all of those type of questions affect commercial and video production because all of those things apply. Um, and separate from all of that, you also have to take in consideration things since we potentially have an athlete or a celebrity um, a, on top of the already giant ask of where you're staying and how you're getting there. It's do you need to then plus that for those celebrities? Like Kristen mentioned earlier, are you paying first class travel, business class travel from wherever? And are they getting a suite? And it's a number of different things that you have to, you have to weigh in when you're making this consideration to see if you can, again, even make this shoot happen the way it was either promised or suggested to be promised. So with my earlier thing about communication, you can speak to your creative teams early to say, okay, is this something that's feasible with the budget? No, okay, how can we fix it? Or this has already somehow, sometimes it happens, but this has already been sold to the client without the producer being involved. Then it's triage, how do we make this happen? What needs to change or who can be on set? Do we need to consider limiting talent? Things like that. Um, because once you get to that location, you're also gonna have to deal with things like clearance and access and permissions, You know, making sure that you can shoot wherever you're shooting. If we're doing actual pyro, you're gonna wanna make sure that you have safety regulations wherever we are. I don't know what the rules are in the Caribbean for uh, pyrotechnics, but there may be some. So that's all part of something that we would need to consider before you know, even stepping foot onto a plane or booking anything for this. Because if any one of those pieces doesn't make sense with your budget or with the actual creative, you need to address that. Yeah. So locations and travel. Yeah, and I wanna throw out there too, just because we're living in the time of COVID that a lot of this also just blows up because there's mm -hmm. so many travel regulations and you know even state to state travel is causing issues so you know sometimes that's going to even make the decision for you um but now as a producer you have to be even even more knowledgeable of what's mm -hmm. going on in order to properly budget a project 
Yeah, just recently we were working on a project that's shooting just a couple states away, and um, I'm trying really hard to find as much local travel to that state that's just a couple states away because I'm just so I feel so because you don't want to ask like you want people to work but you also don't want to ask because you know that they'll say yes or they they feel like they have to say yes to ask them to travel a couple states away to be able to work and then it just makes it just you know my own feelings just make me feel like a little uncomfortable um when tom was talking about explosives in in antigua i started to think about all the things that you google as a producer and i feel like one of those things would be like how many explosives can you bring on a international flight <laughs> like legally to antigua and i mean we really should have a completely separate slide for the things that producers google that we search yeah, online yeah I, I remember being approached um i wasn't in the pitch but I was I was helping our director of production and she was like, Tom, I need you to look up puppets. And I'm like, what? Yeah. She's like, I need you to look up human sized puppets for a campaign. This has already been sold to clients. And I'm like, okay. And you know, because this is what our job is within an hour, I found a guy in Brooklyn who made puppets um, and was actually really good. And that turned into a three year campaign that people like. Yeah. Um, one quick story about Google and then we'll skip. When I was in college, I um, someone wrote a script for um, a car blowing up and yada, yada, yada. I found a guy on Craigslist. I met him at a pizza shop and we blew up a car in a quarry in um, Swansea, New Hampshire. Um, so no permits. Uh, the end. So There's a stadium on this All call. All legal in New Hampshire. Be really upset. Yeah, I mean, it was way back in like 2004. Six, five, Last weekend. I don't know. Fireworks yeah. were legal in New Hampshire. It was just yeah. a firework. We paid a fee for the fire department to use as training to like, I don't know. It's New Hampshire. There's always like a guy that has a guy and he meets you at a pizza shop and he's like an old explosives guy and he has a dog named Boomer and he meets you in a pit and then you just blow up a car. Anyway, so speaking of blowing up stuff, production design. Yeah, I would say, you know, speaking of Google, production design, I think, is all about research. Um, and it's also figuring out, you know, your budget. So I, I love this image because it also, um, it takes me, and one of the analogies I, I always like to use is um, when, it, when thinking about production is what kind of vacation do you want to go on? And clearly the image to the right, we're going, we're camping. And the image to the left, we are going on a European vacation in all five-star resorts. So, you know, you have to really understand, um, you know, the budget that you're working within, but then also you have to do a lot of research. Um, I have Googled many bizarre things, um, and I love in the chat too about what did producers do before Google. and. When I started in the industry, I was making a lot of phone calls. Um, and you basically need to have a lot of friends who knows people who knew another person who could help you out. Um, and, you know, it's, there's a lot of um, things that I don't know. I don't know until it comes across my desk and then I learn a lot about it. Um, you know, before I, I tell you a story about a project that I worked on at, um, not too long ago, um, just 
things that you also have to be aware of when it comes to props and production design that people don't tend to realize is copyright infringement. Um, when people are, you know, production designing a house, um, the artwork that might appear in there, you've got to make sure that everything is cleared. Um, we shot in Chicago and wanted to have the bean as the backdrop. You have to clear and pay to have the bean as part of um, that image. So th those costs can get really up quickly and you just really have to think through it. You know, even if you're going to use different vehicles, you know, can you show those logos if you're showing them in advertising, you've got to probably Greek all of those out. So there's a lot of things to think through. Um, but again, it comes back to research and really understanding what you need to do. I just recently, I um, worked on a project for the Mass State Lotto um, in which the creatives came to me and they said, so our idea is that we wanna have $1 billion in a park to represent how much money the, um, the state gives back or the lottery gives back to the state. And so I had to think, I'm like, okay, well, how would I print $1 billion? Like how much does it cost to print fake money? And then there's a whole thing about fake money and who's authorized to print it because there's very, there's a lot of different laws when it comes to replicating money. So I had to do a lot of research to try to find vendors um, and how we would do this and then figuring out how much it would cost. Um, and you have to have just, you know, sort of your Swiss army of resources. Um, and I think that as everybody comes up through this industry, um, the PAs that you work with when you first start are now producers and or production designers. And so I just sort of carry with me my Swiss Army kit of people that I can reach out to and call and ask, um, you know, to sort of ask these questions because a, the biggest flaw you could do as a producer is to guess. If I were to get a budget and not properly communicate with the director or with the agency and I was to guess what a prop costs, I could get in a lot of big trouble very quickly <laughs> as I'm trying to produce it. And I put in $2,000 to build that prop to come to find out it's going to cost $10,000. Um, you know, you can get in trouble yeah. very quickly. So you've got to make sure that you have done the due diligence before you get that stamp of approval and, and head to production. Um, and you can definitely fall into some pitfalls with production design and props because there's a lot of unknowns. You know, the creative that comes out there is, you know, how much does it cost to build this funky robot or how much does it cost to, um, you know, build a two-story house? And you have to, you have to do your due diligence and you really have to research it and know what you're going to be up against in your budget. Do you remember how much $1 billion cost? Um, off the top of my head, I don't, but it was not as much as I thought it was going to cost. Oh, that's um, good news. That's good. We yeah. did do a lot of fillers. So we built like mm. plywood boxes and then had wrappings and the ones that were towards the center of the pile were obviously empty. And then the ones that got further out, we had more real stacks of bills. Um, so it was definitely, we had to have like a designer who did the whole schematic to figure out how many pallets we would need to build and the size to mm. replicate. Because not only that, the actual 
billion dollars was in the shape of Massachusetts. Oh. So we had a no. drone that pulled out revealing the one billion dollars created the shape of Massachusetts. And here's a creative, you know, this is this is, you know, fun creatives who are like, I have an idea and now I gotta figure out how to do it. So oh. you include Nantucket in the vineyard? <laughs> we did. Nice. Oh my god. Nice. Right, good. <laughs> See, I'm I'm just here geeking out over this. I feel like yeah. most people wouldn't care, but I'm like, yeah, how do you make a billion dollars? Yeah, I, and I, it's, I think it's part of my producer, producer um, mentality. I like, I like to problem solve. I want to figure mm -hmm. it out. I want to know how to do it, how it's made, how much it's going to cost. So you got to really, you know, kind of dive in there and figure it all out. Yeah. I think my husband hates that side sometimes is that like some, like something will immediately break in the house or like something will happen with the car and immediately I'm like, all right, so I got like three guys. I, I'm going to tell them you're going to, this guy's going to come over here, but I got this quote and he's like, no, no, let's just like figure it out on our own. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. I have to have like 47 different plants to be able to fix the situation. So, um, yeah. <laughs> We should have another uh, talk about um, mar being married to a producer. So, um, all right, so post-production. When all else fails, fix it in post. Um, so for us, there, for me, and um, I'm sure all producers out there, there's many ways to approach post-production. It really depends on the project itself. Um, obviously, we would love to always fix it in post. And I know that, um, my coworker B on this chat is probably rolling over um, in his chair and just throwing up his hands and being very angry whenever I say, don't worry, we'll just fix that later. Um, so uh, there's also a really funny Facebook group called We'll Fix, we'll fix It in Post um, that has really awesome memes on there. Um, so for me, the way I approach posts is it really depends upon the project timeline and also on the client itself. So if a project has like a super fast turnaround, I'll probably incorporate a live edit, um, which gets all those stakeholders in a room. We get a rough cut together. We sit them down. We get them like really awesome lunch, uh, really awesome breakfast. We sit them down there for like eight plus hours. And at the end of the day, we tell them we're going to have a final cut. We're going to have an edit or you're going to walk away. You're going to leave with something done or you're going to leave with something, um, you know, 75% of the way and then two days later, we're gonna have it completely finished. And I think for me, that's really helpful um, in helping sell that live edit to them. Um, it may be like a little bit more money and then maybe more time for them, especially since they have to sit in a room with us for a whole entire day. But I think it's actually really important, especially if you have a uh, really fast turnaround. Um, another thing that I think is really important for post-production is in um, incorporating internal buffer time for reviews. So for us, our department works within an agency sphere. So uh, we may put together an edit based upon, um, you know, obviously the shoot and everything that we've heard from the agency and the client, and then we'll present that to the agency team. So it's the creative director, the, um, the writer, the account person, um, you know, a coordinator, and then they'll take time. I, I work that into the schedule they'll take time to review that and they may say like, oh, we totally forgot to tell you that our client hates peanut M&Ms. You have to remove that shot that has peanut M&Ms in it. So it's all these kind of like little things that we may not have realized or we may not be privy to. 
And it's that one little gut check right before we send it off to the client. Um, so we like to put that into the buffer time into the um, post-production um, as well. And um, what was the other thing I was gonna say here? Um, sorry. Um, I think that um, for us, we also wanna really designate a stakeholder for that for those reviews for post-production we use vimeo um, a vimeo pro account so when we send a link to a client they can easily tap on the screen and they can make a comment um, some clients don't super figure that out so they just send comments on an email um, i'll always make sure that i reply back to them to clarify those comments so and um uh, boil those down for our editors, editors to make sure that they really understand what that feedback is all about. Um, and for us, when we designate that stakeholder, it's like the most important thing I think, um, and for post-production is because you really want to find out who has the final say. Um, I'm certainly fine to sit in a room with like 14 different people telling me that something should be green, should be yellow, it should be orange, should be polka dot. But I really just want to focus on the person that tells me it needs to be yellow. I'm like, I just want to know what you think, because that's the person that's making the final decision. That's the person that's going to write that check. That's the person that's going to tell me that it's approved. It's, you know, packaged up and it's getting ready to go. Um, and I think that that's um, one of the most important things for post-production. And then we get down to the last thing that I really super hate, and Tom can attest to this, which is mastering traffic formats and delivery. I hate it so much um it makes me feel like a complete moron um it's super technical i try really hard to understand it and i like sit there and i focus and i read all the things and then just like super glosses over and i'm just like i don't know what happened and um i try really hard um but every time i traffic something out uh, to our media department or um send something out to our media department for them to traffic i learn something new um, just when I think I have it perfectly right, they'll send something back and they're like, oh, Hulu rejected it. And I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, but, <laughs> awesome. and, and I say this every time to be completely clear, no matter how hard any of us try in that stage, more often than not on the back end, the places, these placements, the, wherever the spots are going or the creative will end up, will change their specs. So because it's an ever-changing they just keep moving the goalpost. There's no 100% yeah. way to do it. You can only just be prepared for that last minute. Be like, oh, by the way, they don't like this anymore. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Super challenge for me. I just uh, just have never been that technical side of like, oh, I need an MP4, H264, XYZ, 16, 9, 7, 12, something. And I'm like, sounds good. Great. Um, uh, but yeah, so for us post-production, I, I really like it, um, that, that aspect of it, except, you know, leading up to the media delivery part, because um, my large portion of my production background is in animation. So a lot of that is sitting at my desk and waiting for people to send me stuff, which is, um, you know, the, the bougie way to produce, I think. <laughs> Just like sit back. Um, but uh, I think that that sort of wraps up our post-production aspect of this presentation and then it moves to ask a producer so ask us questions i guess 
Yeah, there were a lot of really great questions going on down there. And I, I realized I said you can ask questions and then because you couldn't raise your hand or speak, it would just be buried in the chat. So um, we can certainly go back through some of those and we can read them yeah. back. I can circle back to them um, and ask you guys the question on behalf of everyone here. So I think the first question we got was uh, from Nick. And he said, Katie, are you billing for in-house gear in your budget, even if it's already owned by the production company versus if you rent gear? Yes, we are. Um, we have like a baseline that we always bill for renting our gear. Um, but to be honest, I think sometimes it gets a little bit chewed away to like other stuff because it's technically like a soft cost. We may say like, oh, we need a little bit of that for like this other like really awesome thing that we need. Um, but we always really make sure that we have our stuff covered because at some point we are going to have to replace that gear with like something new and amazing. And yeah. we also paid for that gear at one point. So we need people to rent it um, for that resource that we're a house with a whole bunch of gear for them to be able to use. Yeah. And I usually consider it to be something similar to um, like at a post house, a room rate uh, for editorial. If you're booked on a job that, suite can't edit for something else so that rate essentially covers that we can't use that gear to shoot something else so that fee mm -hmm. represents that that makes sense yeah leandra asks if a client wants something fast and cheap would you do that and potentially put your name on something that's not good depends is it funny i feel like i would always go for like if it's really funny i'm fine with it but that's just me personally <laughs> And I would say it depends on the reach. Is it something that's an internal presentation? Because then sure, who cares? But is it something that people will see? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it would depend on, I think, reach, but also it depends on a lot of times our bandwidth. What do we else do we have going on? Are we mm. in a position where we can say no or not? Right. And also, let's be honest, anything we produce will be great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but yeah, I, I definitely get that. And I think that if it's something that um, you, you know, it's supporting a cause or it's something that has like mm -hmm. a bigger purpose, then I think I'm all for that. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Nick has another question. Is there a resource online that helps determine usage fees? Do you, the production company, own the footage and then license it to client? So um, there's no online resource. I mean, you can look, you can, it depends. So if you're doing, dealing with SAG, you'd want to deal with the SAG office and find out about usage. That's all standardized depending on where you run. If you're working with non-union talent, I always talk to either casting directors or agents to get the best pricing and usage. And it varies per market. So if I'm shooting in a market that I'm not very familiar with, say I'm filming in Tulsa, I'm gonna call whoever's there locally to figure out what is a standard usage based on what my needs are. So if I need, you know, it's gonna be a social media delivery that they're gonna to wanna to use for the next year, I wanna see what the market um, value is for that before I and, and put that into my budget and then as far as we do not we are work for hire so we do not own 
the footage that we are paid to do. Um, so the client ends up owning it with the licensing and usage originally negotiated at the beginning of the contract. And just adding on to that, definitely for when it comes to talent, I mean, it helps to know actors. Um, so you can, if you have any friends that you can just kind of bounce ideas off of, but casting people are huge because they have been through everything and they've seen everything. Um, the SAG, they put out, usually it takes them, once they agree, there's a new commercial contract, once they agree to it, usually um, two years into the three years of the contract, two years in they'll produce a book of all of everything that is pretty much my Bible when involved <clears throat> when I'm working with SAG contracts um, and talent. You can find those online, SAG posts them. And I think also actually a really good place to go to is Extreme Reach because they have a talent section that includes contracts for TV and radio. Um, but it'll also have all of the, the contract just kind of posted up there, which is actually pretty helpful. Um, but that that's my Bible and that's a good place to go if you want to see what day rates look like and what the rules are for mechanical edits and things like that. I know I'm probably not supposed to turn my mic on, but I wanted to follow up really quick. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, it, I, I'm thinking about a photographer, right? A photographer licenses the final product. They own that, right? You said that your production company element doesn't, it's work for hire direct to the client. Do you think, um, or do you see other production companies, other production houses acting like a photographer and retaining the rights and then mm -hmm. licensing? Yeah, only when it's stock footage. So you can, as a production company, you can produce a library of stock footage that you then could license out to your clients. But typically the contracts are based as a work for hire. Photography is a totally different beast and they have different legacy um, agreements that even now are sort of changing just with the times. But um, typically the video footage is work for hire. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Um, there are a couple more questions. I know we're at time, but I think people want to know. <laughs> so we'll stick on. And if Katie, Kristen, and Tom, you guys have time, we'll continue. We have a few more questions. I'm good. Yeah, my husband's picking up my baby, so. <laughs> Perfect. All the time. <laughs> Um, Leandra asks, what's the difference between paying for the copyright for something and product placement? Um, so product placement is arranged ahead of time and typically is in a feature film or episodic television series where a product wants to be placed within it so that it's highlighted. So BMW will pay top chef money so that the BMW cars are featured. Um, and then they have an agreement as to how many times those are shown within each episode. When you're advertising a product, so if I am a bank and I'm ad advertising my banking product, I can't leverage another product to sell my product. So if I then put a BMW car in my banking commercial, BMW is going to have an issue because it's then being seen as their brand is supporting my brand. So that's why you have to deal with the copyright infringement when it comes to advertising, which is different than product placement in films and, and television. Got it, yeah. Awesome. Um, that's something I didn't really even fully know, so I'll learn something. Learn something new every day. 
how do you know what landmarks need to be licensed? The bean in Chicago versus architecture that does not need to be cleared. Pretty sure Planet Money podcast has an episode about printing fake. Oh, that's fine. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, I mean, my, my default is to assume that somebody is going to sue you. So you just have to cover yourself and, and assume that, you know, if the creative calls for a specific landmark, do your research, find out if you need to pay for that landmark. Um, especially again with advertising, you know, I worked with McDonald's for years. McDonald's was constantly sued because they're like, hey, it's McDonald's, they've got to have money. So they were super, super careful about clearing landmarks and paintings and pictures and artwork and toys. Um, all those things could potentially have a copyright. So you have to, you know, work with a client that has a great legal department um, and just be sure that the creative has been cleared and that you're covering yourself for anything that may you may need to pay for. Oops, I was muted. <laughs> um, how do you handle structure um, rush free fees and what qualifies as rush fee? That's a, that's a tricky question because mm. I think the times that we are told that the work is needed as soon as possible far, are far more frequent than the ones that's like, yeah, you've got plenty of time on this. Right. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I feel like all of ours are basically get it done as soon as possible i think sometimes if there's like a super rush fee if like someone says we didn't realize that we had to be at this event and we didn't realize that we had to make a video for something you know and they reach out to you and it really all depends upon like is this a client that you're going to work with once is it a client that you're going to try and build this relationship with and I think a rush fee is important for me as a producer. If I'm making someone spend outside hours spend on something. So if they're like going to be working on a weekend and they're going to be working at night and they're going to be, working, you know, 16 hour days and we're going to be just churning out this project super fast. Then yeah, like, you know, time is, time is important. You know, time is money. Money is pizza. Pizza is power, you know? So that's a, um, parked and rec quote but anyway so um, I think it's important especially now where we really um, focused on what's important especially during this like pandemic where um, you know spending time with your family and being home and you know and being healthy and and being safe is really important I think that um, a rush fee is prioritized if you're going to be um, making other people's lives a little bit more challenging um and also for us another thing on that rush fee is that we've been incorporating like covid um you know everybody has been obviously incorporating covid related safety precautions into their shoes but for us we've been trying to think about you know what's going to happen if someone is sick and we want to compensate them and um, we don't want them to feel like they have to come to work you know like so those types of things I think incorporate into rush feeds as well as like anytime someone's trying to um, limit or put their health at risk or their time at risk or their safety at risk um, I think you have to you know be charged for that yeah I agree my husband always says is the juice worth the squeeze <laughs> yeah a hundred percent and you want to know it guess what as a producer it never is <laughs> <laughs>
So <laughs> if the juice was worth the squeeze, I wouldn't work here. So that's true. Um, okay, I think we have one last question about budget somewhere here. Um, about whether there's a template. Oops, I lost it, but whether there is a a template for a budget um, guideline that you use. We don't use a template, but we use um I guess we do use a template sort of. We use showbiz. Um, and then uh, there's also like a hot hot budgets, right? Kristen, do, yeah. what do you guys use over there? Yeah, we use hot budget. Um, you can also download, I think that you don't have to be a member, but I believe you can download a template from the AICP, Association of Independent yeah. Commercial Producers website. Um, I think it's just a basic Excel. And you know, Google's your friend too. You can find some templates there. But if you're gonna use, um, if you have a larger production and you wanna use a budgeting software, Showbiz is great, we used to use that. And then Hot Budget's another one. Awesome, we'll have to check out those resources. Um, and I think this is our last question. So in securing okay. insurance now, are insurance companies including COVID-19 for coverage? No, nobody's going to insure for COVID. Yeah, I think you just have to, uh, I'm doing a shoot tomorrow and I guess you just have to get the people, the crew and everyone to sign like a waiver saying mm -hmm. that they will not sue you if they contact anything. Uh, but obviously there are regulations in place for um, the production company to keep people safe and masks. Yeah, and yeah I mean, the only thing what I do now with, with COVID related productions is that I um, just let clients be aware that there should be a contingency if there needs to be any sort of postponement or cancellation due to COVID related issues. Mm -hmm. I kind of am treating it like a weather contingency. Um, yep. I have no control over yeah. the state suddenly causing a shutdown. Um, but as far as mm -hmm. insurance companies covering sort of COVID protections, if somebody gets sick on your set, set mm -hmm. I think you just have to be mindful and aware and follow good practices and procedures mm -hmm. and document those so that you show to anybody that you covered off all bases, that you um, adhered to safety protocols um, and that you can stand by those. And if you're running a safe set and you're protecting your employees and you're protecting um, your clients, then you know I think that you should feel covered. Yeah, I think that's important. I think for us, we're, we're slowly dipping our toe back into like bigger productions. We've done some, some smaller stuff and we're slowly dipping our toe back into that. And I think for me, um, coming from a world where I was a PA for a really long time and it was like, um, you have, just have to work. Like, oh, you broke your leg? You have to work. Oh, you, um, you have a sinus infection? Sorry, you have to work. Um, you don't get a sick day. And if you, and if you call in sick, God forbid, you're never going to be called back. And I think that that mentality is really ingrained in this industry. And that's really tough. And now with COVID related illnesses, so, you know, you have like a little tickle, a cough or like a runny nose that could be COVID and you don't want to infect everybody else out there. And you, you almost need to incentivize, incentivize, incentivize people to not come to work whether that's give them a half day rate, whether that's incorporate into your budget that you give them the full day rate to get like a sick day, you have a backup, you know, you have to sort of figure out this contingency plan that you could either a move forward with the production fully and like, you know, everybody's healthy or a you move the production entirely to a different day because one person is sick. It's a super strange time to, to be in. 
and we're covering essentially the the gap left by the insurance companies because we're trying to come right make sure those contingencies are prepared for mm -hmm. because if we've got a six-figure budget for a commercial and half of the crew isn't available the day before we're in a pretty bad spot so we're trying to think mm -hmm. in advance making sure that okay cast and crew let's make sure that two weeks before you start limiting contact um it, to the best of your ability uh, making sure that maybe a little closer to the shoot go take and pass a covid test before you come on to set and then having a health monitor on set to ensure that not actually on the set but even just to get access to you know the area around the set to get on set you need to you can't have a temperature and then once you get in limiting contact the cast to make sure that it's not just a group of people like a normal set would be so there's a lot of different things that we're doing um, for, for ourselves but also to help cover up the fact that insurance isn't really gonna gonna be there for us we are the insurance yeah i think we're all trying to figure out what we're dealing with and there's just so much up in the air but um and to your point katie i think um taking time off just because you were a little unwell seemed like you were there was a lot to lose to just stay at home for like a headache or a little cough or cold but now i think it's worth it <laughs> and you won't feel so guilty doing it um but yeah okay awesome um darcy had one question if you want to quickly go over that um he said sometimes budget he gives uh, clients a budget um an, an abc budget and they always choose the cheapest one is there a way around that or do you guys have that issue as well I think you have to you have to make the client understand what they're giving up. You know, if you are going for the the cheapest budget, you know, it sort of goes back to sort of the Game of Thrones image. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, you want a throne, we can do a throne of pool noodles, and if that's what you want, then that's what we'll do. Um, but if they suddenly realize, like, oh, okay, this is why I don't want to do that. Um, it, you know, we, so we don't own our own camera gear, unlike um, Anchorline does. We, we um, rent everything because most of our projects, you know, specifically call for certain specialty cameras. So those are things that are a compromise. It's like, okay, well, if we're not, if you don't have the budget to shoot Phantom, then you're going to give that up and this is what you're going to get instead. Um, and they may only have that and they have to be okay with it. And so, you know, it is, you just sort of set the parameters as to why, you know, they would want B instead of C. Yeah, in very few situations, is there ever an actual no? It's usually just a, yeah, you can do that, but you get this instead. Um, the same thing with Will Ferrell. We could certainly do that, but this is what you lose out on, which is basically any marketing Everything. money for the rest of the next two years. <laughs> um, but if the client somehow was in on that and was like, okay, we want Will Ferrell, our job is then get Will Ferrell. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's making sure that you're listening and then you're communicating and then you work with what you get. Yeah, I think I think also, go ahead. Sorry, I think just making it clear as to what they're going to get um, is pretty important so that they're not like, oh, wait, but I thought, you know, they're disappointed. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're still going to say that. Yeah. They're, they're going to still pull that at some point. Yeah. Under promise and over deliver. That's what you want to yes. do. Yes. I think what's also really uh, interesting about like the, 
trying to give them something fast and and you obviously don't want to say no but when Kristen was talking about earlier about how like you know you you come up in this industry and you meet so many different people and one of the big things if there's anybody on here that is coming up in this industry just like stay in contact with a lot of people and it is really easy to do that with social media um and there's always someone that I guess it's a double-edged sword. There's always someone that's going to want to do it, that, that will do it for cheaper. So for us, if we find someone that comes to us and they have a project and they only have, you know, I really want to get like X, Y, and Z done and I only have like $5,000. And you're like, man, I really want to make that for you. I just can't. I'm a bigger company. We're not a really great fit, but I have an awesome freelancer for you. I have a great person that's going to, that's going to, solve that problem and you reach out to that person ahead of time and you like prep them you let them know what the project is you make sure that the budget's gonna fit so when that per when that client reaches out to that freelancer that guy's like oh yeah or that girl's like i can do that no big deal and so i think that that's really important it's just making sure that you make a lot of friends in this industry and make a lot of contacts because you really never know who's gonna be going from like oh, the person that just gets the coffee to now signing your paycheck. And so I think it's really important. So, Yeah, I think as a producer, I, I like to problem solve. So I don't like telling a client that, nope, sorry, we can't do that. I'm always like, mm -hmm. I can't, but I know this person can. And yeah. you know, I just, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katie, Kristen, and Tom. This has been great, super informative. Um, I think everyone loves listening to examples and ideas of like how you've implemented this in your day-to-day -day and um, hearing all of your um, stories has been great. Mm -hmm. um, it, we've been 20 minutes over and most people have stayed. So I think high five. Oh, that's great. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for joining us. Um, follow us on Instagram and Katie, Kristen, Tom, if you want to put your Instagram handles too, so that people can stay mm -hmm. in touch and everyone else too can add. Um, we can use this <laughs> network as well. Um, but yeah. If you're really into baby photos, then yeah, <laughs> follow along. Perfect. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh, and thanks to Joanne. She's been the one monitoring and letting you guys in. So thank you, Joanne. I don't know where you are. Um, I'm here. Thank you for everybody coming.